I want to spend some time in the scripture this morning dealing with the principles of authority and submission. A few weeks back, had been looking at issues of leadership, and ultimately, uh, leadership and our authority and submission are just tied to those things, right? And so what I want to do is walk through that in all of us, whenever we get into a relationship, whether we're leading or whether we're submitting, there are certain things that, that cause us to be vulnerable to even accept things like that. Uh, one is our pride. It says, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. You know, certainly not you. you know, that's, that doesn't get spoken quite as clearly normally, but that certainly functions in our thinking. The other is fear. Like, if I yield to you, what's going to happen to me? You know, are you really going to give care and concern, or are you just going to, you know, take advantage of this? And so that, that lives deep in all of us. And yet God calls us into relationships this way that um, we have to, in a sense, almost fight against the very core of our nature. Um, in James chapter 4, there's a, a call to submit to the Lord because even though he made us, even though he knows more about us than we know, even though he orchestrates the events of history and even our lives and our paths, there's this tendency to say, I, I'm just not sure I want to trust you in this or I want to follow you in it. And, and so there's this tension that goes on, and, and the writer is going, uh, we have this thing that moves us to, to fight against that. But he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, so he, he urges them then, submit to God. Yield to him. Um, I like the way that the contemporary English version puts this. The Lord sneers at those who sneer at him, but he's kind to the humble and there are everyone who is humble. So it's just like, you're not going to win this fight. You're better off yielding. Um, that said, that there is a measure of this authority and submission that goes, that is a part of the eternal, part of heaven, and it has earthly application as well. And so it's like what we see in heaven, we want to imitate on earth, right? And if, if this is the way things are laid out in the eternal, we know that it's going to have some kind of physical application as well. So, you know, the Hebrew writer makes this declaration. He goes, you know, your father's disciplined you for your own good. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and receive life? And so he's just going, this, this is a critical issue that we have to wrestle through. It's interesting to me that when both Moses and Joshua were finishing up and they're, they're speaking their last words, so to speak, or they're making these declarations to people, it's like they're going away song. Um, both of them address rebellion and say, don't get caught up in this. Don't let this rule your life. And, you know, just a, the very 
definition in some ways is resistance or defiance of any authority or control or tradition even. It's this idea of, I, I am not going to submit to that. And, and both Moses and Joshua said, this is a tendency in us. Be careful. Don't let that rule your life. It's just not a good place to go. The New Testament writer picks that up as well in Hebrews when he says, and he quotes the Old Testament and he says, don't give in to or harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So that said, there are a few instances of people stepping away from authority in Scripture, but it's rare. Generally, there's a call to embrace the authority structures that are around us. And um, one of the instances, you know, that kind of pulls it out is like, if you are called or asked to disobey God's command, then you have a responsibility to stand up against the authority and, and accept the price, whatever it is. So like in, this, in Daniel, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember the, the state is calling for, for people to bow down to it, basically. The big statue's been erected. And so there's this call to deny God, deny your God, and submit to the state in this. And these guys go, can't do it. You know, they, they have good positions. They've been faithful in their work ethic. They, there's nothing to really go after them that way, but they're just going, we can't deny God in this. And so remember, they're thrown into the fiery furnace, and they make this declaration, if God saves us, he does. We know he's capable, but you know, just know we're not going to bow our knee to this. And, of course, there's this, the miraculous provision where they, they survive. Um, in that same book, Daniel, who is second only to the king, so he's, he has developed with a, an integrity and a skill that far exceeds others, and he's given this opportunity to, to, to rule everything around except what... The, the king says. And others are jealous of that, and, and they figure, well, the only way that we can get this guy is to, to find something about his worship to his God, because we know that he won't give that. And so they make this law that nobody's to worship anyone but um, the king. And the king says, oh, that, yeah, that sounds great. You know? and, and Daniel does what Daniel always did. He went home, windows are open, he starts praying unto his Lord. And of course, then he's thrown in the lion's den, which he escapes, because God shuts the mouths of the lion. But those, those instances are times when people said, no, I can't follow this authority, I have to follow God. But generally, you have um, people in a sense, submitting to authorities around them. A New Testament example of, of refusal is Peter and John. They're brought before the Sanhedrin, and they're told, quit talking about this lame man that got healed, and quit talking about this Jesus. And they're going, eh, you got to decide what you're going to do, but we can't stop talking about this. And they, they just go on. Um, in some ways, in Scripture, uh, just like you have this fight or flight option, right? 
And a lot of times you have David who is, has the authority over him and Saul who's wanting to kill him and David rather than trying to kill Saul just flees and says, I, I, I just am not going to draw this to a head if possible. So that kind of thing is, is functioning through Scripture. And then you're going, okay, but it still grates at us, right? I think in Philippians, um, Paul is, is bringing this out and he, he starts to explain his thinking in it. Because if you remember when he and Silas were uh, going through the city and they'd been followed by this girl that had a demon and, and he eventually cast the demon out. The men who had used this for fortune telling and gaining money just they're upset because there goes their income. And they bring a, a great hubbub in the community. They, and Paul and Silas are beaten with rods and thrown into jail. And at midnight, they're singing hymns and praising God and praying. And you're going, I don't get it. Well, it's obvious that they wouldn't have been able to sleep simply because of the stress that their bodies had gone through. They're in shackles. And yet to have a heart that is not overwhelmed by the situation is amazing to me. The fact that, that they are at, in a measure of peace, in confidence in God, even though their outward circumstances are chaotic and terrible. There's something that says that we don't have to escape our situation to be at peace in God. And that's, that's a crucial understanding. Because we're living in a culture right now that just says, if I can throw this off or throw this off, then I have an opportunity for peace. If we can undo this and I can undo this where, where everything is and I get to do as I want, then I can have a joy about life. The New Testament writers weren't committed to that principle. They weren't seeing themselves as victims in God's sight. It's interesting, you know, when, when Paul goes into his writings in Philippians, and he's already had this experience in Philippi, he talks about Christ, and he's recognizing that Jesus was put to death by authority figures that were not thinking of his best interest. And yet, in that, he still accomplished the purposes of God and brought our salvation. So they're looking at the suffering that he went through and said, in the eternal perspective, it really didn't hinder things at all. In fact, it was used by God for good. You should have the same attitude toward the one another that Christ Jesus had, who though he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. So he, he didn't say, keep your freedoms and keep your rights and do not 
give to anything. Instead, he says, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in their human nature. So we're reading this and they're going, it was really demeaning to be with the Father and, and with, you know, and having this position to come to earth and live as a human. How disgusting would that be? How awful to, really, to, to, to give in to all of that and to, in a sense, make yourself a slave. To be bound by human nature. It says, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So again, this whole thing of obedience to the Father and being willing to even die in obedience is something that's very, very challenging, right? But it says, as a result, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. So there, there's, there was a payday for it. But in the natural and in, in the physical, it's like one of those things where you're just going, okay, these leaders were corrupt. They didn't know God when they saw him. But at the same time, God understood and was able to deal with that. So it, 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 it lays the groundwork for us when we're looking at authority figures and, and saying whether they get it or not, whether they knowingly are serving God or not, whether they are kind or not, whether it, there is an aspect of this that we can trust God and Smith, as a result of our relationship with him. Very, very complicated, right? Something that grates against us. And yet this, this is carried through the scripture in a significant way. It's not just a one-shot verse or a, a, a micro thing, but it's true. So let's, let's spend just a, a few minutes hitting a few more things. Jesus, when he was being challenged by who are you, the religious leaders are asking him, what, how, how is it that you're casting out demons? He says, if I by the Spirit of God, then the, if I cast them out by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has already overtaken you. And he's, when he uses that term kingdom, that has a, the authority of a king over its citizenry, Right? And he's declaring that the structure of the eternal is kingdom in its form. And he's making this declaration. He says, I have power over the unseen. I have power over spiritual life, over demons, everything else. He's saying, that's what the new kingdom is about. And so you and I have entered into something that we don't fully understand. But there is a dimension of the unseen that's still a part of our lives. When he sent out the disciples and they came back and they're rejoicing, they said, even demons submitted to us. You know, we had an authority in this realm that we didn't understand, but it, it's amazing. He goes, well, what you really should be rejoicing is your names are written down in heaven. You know, rejoice in your salvation. Don't rejoice over this power that you, you realize now is a part of what you have. So that said... 
Let's look at a, a few other verses in regard to a Christian community and government and family relationships um, because they're, they're scattered throughout, but it's, I just want to just hit some of the basics. It says in Hebrews 13, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls and will give an account for their work. Let them do this with joy and not with complaints, for this would be of no advantage to you. So they aren't undermining or driving away the idea of authority and submission roles. But they're rather stepping into it and saying, you can function in the kingdom of God, and this is part of how you will function. Um, remember, a couple weeks ago, we had mentioned that the idea of in the, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, there's, there's several challenges to Moses' authority, and part of it is going, we're all holy people. We all have God with us. So why should we have to follow anyone? Same argument comes up today, right? And yet, in that, uh, God was very specific at just going, that's not how it goes. And he proved it out in those days and continues to, to let that go on. Partly because if you, if you have difficulty obeying an unseen God, Maybe it's best to learn how to obey those around you so that you have the opportunity of responding to him when he calls. Um, Philippians 2.8. I'm jumping. I want to go back. 1 Corinthians. Now, brothers and sisters, this is at the very end of his first letter. He just goes, you know about the household of Stephanus, that as they were the first converts of Achaia, they devoted themselves to ministry for the saints. I urge you also submit to people like this and to everyone who cooperates in the work and labors hard. So he's, Paul's not getting rid of this, even though he's helped to bring this church into existence, but he's just saying, this is a natural structure that's appropriate. I encourage you to participate. In regard to government, again, we, we look at examples of corruption, and in our hearts we're going, I don't want anything to do with them. I want to just kind of live my life quietly in peace and not bother with this. And yet, in that day, it wasn't as if everything was pure. In fact, there's a, there was a lot of corruption. If you read anything about the Caesars, you know that they were about themselves, and their rule was, was often uh, very, very oppressive. And yet, Paul's writing, he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except God's appointment, and the authorities that exist have been instituted by God. First Peter, you know, the one that, you know, who's, who's had to watch others around him being put to death by authority figures, who has seen James the Apostle, you know, beheaded. He writes and says, be subject to every human institution for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Not for them, but for the Lord. He says, whether a king is supreme or governors to those he commissions to punish, wrongdoers, and praise those who do good. 
And he goes on, for God wants you to silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. He says, there is a testimony that goes out of your life as you walk in submission to others. Live as free people, not using your freedom as a pretext for evil, but as God's slaves. So he says, your submission to him is played out on earth by the way that you live. So be aware of this. Now, he also goes through family relationships. Uh, in fact, Paul, Ephesians, Colossians, Titus, he, he, he goes through responding and how things should be, and he lays out these authority and submission relationships in, in each of those books. And so it's definitely in his thinking. It isn't just an aside thought. But it says this is part of how we live in honor of God. And, and so when he's addressing wives and husbands in, in uh, Colossians, which is a mirror of Ephesians, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. As is fitting to the Lord, he says, there's a, there's a understanding of this relationship with God in this. And he says to husbands, love your wives and do not embitter them or, in, in, or be embittered against them. I wasn't even sure what this word meant. <laughs> but it's, it's like to live in bitterness I think the best way of saying it is don't make your home a bitter place, guys. Don't act with a moroseness or surliness or a churlishness that would cause this to be a miserable place. You know, so he's, he's putting onus on both parties, right? But he's, he's making this declaration, this is how family life is to go. Then he addresses children, and he says, um, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Did you get that front row? <laughs> Beautiful verse. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was unfair. But it also says, Fathers, don't provoke your children so they will not become disheartened. And he's laying out both sides of the coin. But he's just, he's addressing this and saying, this is crucial to who we are in God. He goes from there to the picture of servants and masters. And again, that's something that in our day, we don't even like those terms, right? But if you were to use employer and employee, it'd be very similar to much of what had been lived out. And if you take that in perspective or in that context, so to speak, obey your earthly masters in every respect, not only when they're watching. So when you're at work, apply yourself, not just when they see you. Like those who are strictly people pleasers, but with a sincere heart, fearing the Lord. This is part of your worship unto the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with enthusiasm as the Lord, not for people. 
So when you're, when you're in this work environment or work situation, you're not just trying to keep somebody happy, but rather you're saying, as a part of my worship unto the Lord, I'm working with a, a skill and integrity that would be honoring to the Lord. Because you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Serve the Lord Christ for the one who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. There are no exceptions. It's interesting in the book of Philemon, and I don't have a scripture up there, but Paul's dealing with, okay, you've got a master who is a Christian, and you have a servant who ran away and became a Christian, and then Paul's sending him back and saying, to the, the guy who's the master, he's gone, you need to understand, you're brothers now. So you need to be careful how you treat this person. He says, I really would like you to send them back to me, but you know, he is, he is acknowledging this relationship by sending them back. But at the same time, he's saying, you need to be very, very careful in this setting because you really are brothers. There's a form of equality even in this relationship. In Titus, it says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and be ready for every good work. First um, Peter deals pretty extensively with these issues, several chapters. And there are some things said that, um, again, are troublesome. But, well, I'll read one to you. This, um, Slaves, be subject to your masters with all reverence, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are perverse. You go, what? But he's he's... he's developing this case of saying your labor and your response in this setting can have a powerful influence on those around you. And you are the witness of Christ. And you're the declaration of what he does in a life. And so everything you do in in regard to this has to reflect him. He, he does the same thing with husbands and wives, and he, and he tells wives, whether they're serving God or not, the way that you live in this relationship has a power that can affect your husband. And so you, you need to be aware of that, that you are, part of your worship unto God is how you live out in this relationship. He goes on to, to leaders in the church at, at one point, and he's going, you know, I urge you to do this, not because you have to, but because it's the right thing. But all through this, he is, he's weaving this thing of saying, Christ suffered for us. So if your life has some suffering in the moment, well, you're in good company. And that's a, that's a challenge for us, because we don't like to even hear that or think about it, or that maybe... In our lives, there might be some suffering that would come our way as a result of others, and we don't have the right to just 
refuse or step away or be angry, but rather that God offers a peace in that setting that is capable of overwhelming even our understanding of what's going on. That's not a message we get in our culture, for sure. And yet, I guess, if Paul and Silas could sit in jail and sing songs to the Lord and pray, they're going back to the source and saying, even though we're hurting, there's something more important going on here. And when these writers are calling out people and saying, yeah, you have these relationships, we're not, we're not telling you you have to escape them. Rather, we're telling you, function within and know that God is capable of doing good things. Here's a, a declaration by Peter, and I close with this verse. God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand by casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Some of the older trans cast all your anxiety on him, anxiety on him because he cares for you. Take the worries that you have and the situations that you're in and take them unto the Lord because he does see and he does care. And even though there's, there is a tension that says, yeah, but I'm in a situation where I know that that person really doesn't care about me or that they're so selfish that they're only about themselves. And yet, Peter's going, God sees, God oversees, and he cares, and he will take you through this. God help us. <laughs> this fights against human nature. This fights against the culture that declares, set yourself free. This fights against this narrative that says, others have wronged you, you'll not be healthy until you throw them off or put them down. You're not going to be happy until there's payback. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that you can have peace of God in this moment and an ability to call out to Him and know that He will speak life to you. So Lord, I would ask that for each one here, when we look around us and we see things that aren't functioning the way that we would like or the way that we think they should, we ask that we will first and foremost look to you and acknowledge that we serve you and that we will willingly do whatever is necessary to further your kingdom and honor your name and that we will live in a way that brings honor to you. Help us in that we ask. Amen.
I want to share a couple of stories because each of us is into different things that sometimes are just not happy. First church I pastored, um, had a lady that found out her husband was an alcoholic basically on their wedding night. And he was drunk every night of their marriage. And I went to an older pastor and said, what? Why? You know? and, he, and he just said, this might be the very thing that's developing righteousness in her. And it was like, I, I believe that, but I don't like it, for sure. And it's, it wasn't appropriate. Well, she's one of the sweetest ladies I've ever met. You know, and I, I'm just kind of going, I don't get this. But God had called her to flourish even in that setting. And that was, that was unnerving to me. One other story, though, is my very first ministry situation was brutal. And it had to do with the leadership of the group. And uh, they were doing some things that just weren't right. And it was, it was ugly. I was there for a little over a year. And, uh, you know, I, I felt a release at that point to leave. But it was just like there was this hurt that says, what? It was through their connections that I got the next job that was as wonderful a setting as I've ever been in. You know, and I could never have made that happen, but God did. And, and I just put that out to you. Some of you are in situations that should not be. It's true. But God has a voice to speak to you in this moment if you listen. And it may be that you need to stay. It may be that he's going, you have the freedom to leave. I, I, you know, I don't know what that is. But I, what I'm encouraging you is ask him first. Don't just assume. Find and hear his voice in that. Not what seems natural. Because we can talk ourselves into anything. And our own selfishness will drive us to protect and look after ourselves. And yet, God has a word for this moment. And I just encourage you to listen for that. Uh, we'd be glad to pray with you. Some of you, if you want particular prayer, that this is the easiest way to pray. Let's do that. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to walk with authority, but also submission. As they go out into the community, I ask that you give them words of life to speak over others. Enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen.